0: Welcome to the new Innovation Matters podcast series of the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe. Innovation Matters aims to engage leading experts on a range of topics to explore how innovation could drive sustainable development in Eurasia and beyond. Our episodes explore ongoing trends, opportunities and challenges such as the fourth industrial revolution, the sharing economy, the circular economy, autonomous vehicles and digitization. episode of Innovation Matters. The topic for today is uh, cities and regions as test beds for innovation uh, to drive sustainable development and we'll be talking about the dynamics of cities and local regions, the importance of city level innovation system and the potential to use partnerships and other ways to create entrepreneurship opportunities around challenges related to sustainable development, both at the city level and beyond, and the importance of cities to drive function as test beds to try ideas out and to scale those ideas up and learn from them also in other cities and beyond. Our guest for today is uh, Professor Susanna Boras. Susanna is professor at the Department of Organization at Copenhagen Business School in Denmark. And she's doing research on, on the design of innovation policy and instruments, the governance of change and scale up processes in systems, and organizational strategies in science and technology and regulation and the organizational capacity processes related to social learning and policy learning to explain many of the variances that we see. Professor Boris advises governments and institutions at the international and national levels on science, technology and innovation, and she's a member of the Danish Academy of Technical Sciences, and a member of the Scientific Advisory Board at the Centre for European Studies in Paris. So, today's topic is cities as testbeds for innovation to drive sustainable development, and it's uh, based on Professor Boris's work, including her work on citywide scale-up of smart city pilot projects, governance conditions, and the roles of the state and governance of socio-technical systems transformation. And we'll put links up on the website, other relevant publications, including, for instance, the UNEC publication on smart and sustainable cities. Professor Boris, welcome to Innovation Matters. Thank you. So, Professor Boris, just to note a couple of things from background. We have three themes that you are bringing together in your work. The first is the importance of a perspective of innovation, which is relatively well-established including different ways of putting the systems perspective into practice. And we had, uh, for instance, an episode with Professor Charles Edquist on what he calls holistic innovation policy, which is a step in this direction. The other factor is that innovation is inherently unpredictable. In fact, most attempts at innovation fail. So if you come at it from a risk-averse perspective, it's very hard to get innovation going. And that's often the case in the areas that are currently fall under the remit of what government tends to do. The third point is that cities drive innovation. Most innovation actually happens in cities because of what we call agglomeration and network externalities, meaning basically that the many different things and elements and actors and knowledge that you need to start experimenting with high potential ideas tend to cluster in cities. But you also note that uh, cities are very good at serving and maybe serving more systematically as venues to try things out. So talk about why these themes are so important in this context and in the context of...
1: Yeah, Thank you very much. We can start by defining innovation policy being what any government does to promote innovation. And here governments can also not only be national governments but also regional governments and also city level, local governments. Local governments and and municipalities and cities are very important actors when it comes to innovation. Not only because they try to kind of, you know, engage in in, in providing innovative solutions to to the citizens in, in cities, but also because they are... Uh, very much in a rapid urbanization process. The the world is really in a rapid urbanization process and and many of the problems that we experience today are linked and related to to cities. So it's very logical that local governments at municipal level engage in innovation policy and at the same time uh, where the citizens and the market really is about providing those solutions. We know as well that we have really big problems like issues of public health, as we can see in the COVID-19 situation, where they are particularly important in you know, highly populated areas. We have air pollution problems. We have also issues of poverty and, and other kind of rapid climate change. So cities are places where the the problems are really visible. So um, municipalities are engaging in, in doing things and they're doing it not only from the perspective of their own individual city, but they're very increasingly so collaborating with the private sector public-private partnerships. We can talk about them later on. And uh, they are also engaging cities with each other in networks providing support and good ideas and exchange of experience so they can learn from each other's experiences. We know that some cities that are very engaged in innovation are not necessarily the large urban uh, agglomerations like New York or (laughs) big cities, but also very much small cities in peripheral areas that are struggling with some of those problems as well, and they really kind of have a tradition to engage very actively in providing solutions themselves. So, so not necessarily we're talking about large cities, we're also talking about small cities uh, that are located remotely.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Boris. And in, in fact, I, I like the last point that you made in, in particular, of course. Most of the dynamism is in large cities, but there are quite a bit of exceptions, and the exceptions are always more interesting than the rule. We worked, for instance, quite a bit with Murmansk, a city in northern Russia that was depopulated very rapidly and that had to invest quite a bit in automating solutions and public services for the simple reason that they had to do a lot more with much less tax take than before to keep the city alive in the first place. So that was an enormous incentive. For quite a bit of innovation, we've also seen a lot of dynamism among some smaller provincial Russian cities, such as Rostov-on-Don, that used to be not very developed, but where sectors have emerged. We've seen a similar dynamic in Gaziantep, which used to be regional backwater in Turkey. But of course, we've also seen a lot of small and large cities engaging in large-scale projects that didn't really work out. So I think it's important to kind of get your view on. When it works, when it doesn't work and why based on, based on a few examples. And uh, could you elaborate on the role of innovation in providing urban solutions such as environmental protection, water provision, health and education with a few concrete examples? What are some good and less good ways that cities are trying or have tried to harness uh, this potential and what can we learn from that?
1: Yes, I mean uh, this is actually a, a very a broad question indeed. Innovation back in time was used to be associated with uh, science and technology results, you know, we have a new technology, we have a new scientific discovery and that was it. And more and more we are realizing that really true innovation as bringing new products to the market but also bringing new solutions to to real problems has to do with understanding contextualized understanding science and technologies in a contextualized manner, right? And taking the point of departure from the the real problems rather than from the technology. So if we're looking for solutions to issues of mobility, To traffic congestions, to wastewater management challenges, or to air pollution, we need to kind of, you know, understand those problems in their complexity and then take from there in order to look for the kind of the good technologies and and scientific systems that can actually help us to to address that, right? So, so they have to, to be adapted to the real problems. For example, We have in Copenhagen, uh, one of the problems is to create a good collection of garbage that is actually efficient. So the garbage people are not going to, to collect half empty or almost empty garbage cans, but they go when the garbage cans are filled up to an optimal level. And that we requires a solution that thinks about not only the efficiency of collecting but also getting the data. So there's a number of sensors that have been installed in garbage cans in order to detect when the garbage arrives to a specific level, optimal level, and then on that basis create the routes, the different the different trips where the garbage vans can go and collect that solution. So the technology per se is pretty simple. It's only about sensors and about kind of creating a digitalized collection of data that actually makes an optimal new route, a new kind of a, a new driving route. So the technology is pretty simple, but the complexity of organizationally putting that into into work that has been really the challenge, right? So there has been this kind of uh, interaction between the community, uh, sorry, the, the municipality and the private company actually uh, engaging into providing that contextualized solution. So sometimes we don't need to look for very advanced technologies but just making those technologies work in an interaction with the private and the public sector for that specific solution. Sometimes some others, as you have mentioned, the self-driving solutions in in Murmansk or in other cities, that will require much more advanced technologies. So sometimes we kind of need to find, and some technologies have not been properly tested. So some municipalities are also playing now test beds for those technologies, and they are becoming this... Sandboxes where they do some pilot testing in some specific streets and then later on they aim to scale that solution up to the rest of the city. That scaling up is not easy either because some solutions that might work very nicely in a specific street might not be that easily scalable to a large city, especially you know, if the city is kind of large, right? So the municipalities are acquiring expertise and learning about both how to test new technologies, uh, what works and that does not work, and how to learn the lessons and then try to scale them up to the rest of the city.
0: Thank you very much. It's, it's very interesting. And what, what I like about the example are two things. First, that it might be misleading, actually, to think about these as involving high-tech solutions, the types of technology that you're talking about, gathering data through sensors, has been around for a long time, it it doesn't cost much and basically we see that 99% of innovation is perspiration and 1% is the the technology or the idea in the first place, 99% is actually putting that into practice. And that is often something that I think everyone underestimates and something that you've been looking into in terms of thinking about how do people learn from each other, what kind of incentives do they have, what kind of cultural changes are taking place, how do we need to rethink things. And how difficult is that going to be? And your example illustrates that. So talk a little bit about how we can go about this. So you know, one way, of course, is to try to get a few quick wins, something that's relatively simple, and then to scale it up to address a range of other urban problems and also entrepreneurial problems and uh, what we can learn from them.
1: Yes, I mean, there are many different ways to stimulate learning. I think that the cities are having very interesting networks, kind of exchanging experiences about that. Um, there are many also aspects, not only about how to make things work in a, in a kind of more territorial aspect, but also regulatory aspects. Sometimes the cities need to create some kind of spaces. Uh, regulatory spaces to let things happen and then make the kind of local regulations according to what actually makes sense i think it's actually quite important one of the things that we can see in cities at the moment is that the municipalities are large organizations and they might be a little bit hesitant to engage sometimes in new experimentation so what we are actually seeing is that there are many failures not all the examples for example of uh, district heating or more efficient water provision are always successful because it it requires quite sophisticated system thinking and uh, What we are actually studying right now in a new research project is about the the need of of municipalities as organizations to develop some specific competences that can be some uh, abilities, that can be in the form of and anticipatory competences where the, the cities can, for example, do some foresight exercises or even modeling of future transport systems. And based on those future scenarios or future models, make some decisions about infrastructure and the new technologies regarding that infrastructure that would be very important in the future. So we are looking now do the cities have the abilities and skills to engage in this kind of more anticipatory modeling uh, together with some private companies that can actually deliver the actual hands-on analysis right but are the cities organizations and municipalities able to engage in this process and provide the policy advice for the local politicians to make that decision and transport is actually a very important sector, and energy systems as well, right? For example, the electric batteries. We know that many cars in the future are going to be electric in the cities, and so the questions will be where to locate the recharging costs for this, where is the optimal place to put it and where is actually not only geographically good but also what the energy systems, you know, we have a lot of cables underneath our uh, cities where to locate them more optimally that requires modeling and future thinking, how many cars electrical cars will we have in the future and where would those cars move around so those recharging places will be most optimal, that requires the municipalities organizationally to think a little bit anticipatory and so we We're now looking at our cities and municipality organizations helping each other to build up those skills, to build up those capacities.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Boris. I'd like to take a little step back, especially around the issue of smart cities, because you you could see the smart cities hype, if you want, from a historical perspective. We've seen many failures in history of, of grand schemes, especially when it comes to urban design. You can think about Brasilia, you can think about how Emperor Bassian built Colosseum right next to urban, to urban slums. You can think about the Pachonkin village and more recently the, the grand buildings of Mayor Young in Detroit that were simply grand structures that were left empty. Or even the monumentalism of Baghdad versus the freedom of ancient Athens. But also today, we see even in the U.S., we see a range of place-based policies that fail. The empowerment zones in the U.S. ended up costing 100000 in subsidies for each new job. And most of the dynamism was actually unexpected or created created elsewhere. So we're not good at this. And this is why people working on smart cities are trying to shift the perspective from what they call smart cities 1.0, which is basically the government planning and which might be necessary to ensure, for instance, affordable connectivity and certain platforms to be set up, to Smart Cities 2.0, where government would play more an enabling and flexible role and a catalytic role, but trying to build on the momentum that's coming from the bottom, whether it be, say, environmental pollution or things that citizens want to do. that you could create projects around. And this is what we covered in the the flagship and the importance of demonstration and learning effects. Once a Canton here in Switzerland sees that another Canton is a great solution to something, they have a very strong incentive to do the same as well. You can tell a similar story in the US. And maybe that's why the US works, even though sometimes it doesn't look like it works that well on the federal level. So as you point out in your work, Smart cities are often concrete initiatives within existing cities typically launched in the form of pilot projects. Could you explain to which extent we're moving to the model of Smart Cities 2.0, what has worked and, and what has not, and especially in terms of how we need to shift our approach to governance to make it work? But that's a
1: very, very good question. Yes, indeed. I mean, there has been a lot of, um, second thoughts about the notion of smart cities. You know, what is really smart, right? What makes smart cities to be smart? And, and some more critical voices than, than others. And obviously there's a, there's a very in-depth thinking at the moment about bringing in not only the the top-down perspective of planning which of course will always be risky uh, but also very much indeed the society and societal participation in order to kind of really bring voice and bring new perspectives about what the real social needs of a city really are So we have here different dimensions that really are at play. One of the things that we have been studying is actually we were doing a comparison of 17 different cases, and I cannot really go into all of them. Where do we saw a successful scale-up of smart city solutions in some cities? And we could actually see very clearly that... Those municipalities that had a very intensive collaboration with the public and private providers of technologies, of uh, where that collaboration was intensive, not in terms of having a lot of meetings, but intensive in terms of that the city municipal actors were actually asking and engaging in a co-creation with the private. Pro- providers of that technology into finding good solutions for that city was basically not the municipalities just buying the technology and putting, for example, smart lightning or a new tra- traffic light sensors or solutions, but those who were really engaging into making that technology to be specifically designed for the needs of that particular city, because there are no cities that are equal around the world. So that intensity in collaboration really was a, a clear factor for the success of scale up and, and smart solutions. Another factor that we found was how good the municipal actors were able to clearly articulate the needs Of the public in that city and that was actually typically done through a number of uh, processes engaging with local communities about what the people living on that city was perceiving as something that was needed and and that dialogue based articulation of public needs which were later on by the municipality articulated into that intent, collaboration with the private firms, was also another very important factor. So this dialogue with the citizens, letting those voices from the bottom to to be articulating what the public needs on that city really are, was very important. And then the third factor, of course, playing that, was that everything was what the... Social and political legitimacy behind that solution. There has been a lot of debate about surveillance uh, in cities as not being optimal or, or not being respecting the, the privacy of, of the citizens and that is of course a very important Concern. So the legitimacy of the popular and um, the public comes as well from a guarantee that there's going to be a, an, a, an actual good use and respect for privacy in, in those cities. So those have been factors that have been playing very important that role for the smart solutions that work. But of course, it's very important that we have a culture of innovation around cities, that there is an interaction between the private companies that can be providers of those technologies, but also about the municipalities as complex and large organizations and the society being a very diversified society in the cities that can have also diversified. So there is an importance of organizing that dialogue and organizing that, that collaboration and creating context that, that allowed for experimentation. So trying something that if does not work, we can actually try something else in a small scale so things are not really being rolled up too quickly into things that kind of really collapse. So the patience and taking the time that it requires to go first in an experimentation phase and later on to a scale-up phase.
0: Thank you, Professor Boris. That's actually very interesting. And a couple of things come to mind that I would like to pick up on and, and turn into an ultimate question for this interview. The first is just to repeat the idea that technology It's not enough, it's the ideas that we can can do with them. We systematically overestimate technology in the short run and underestimate in the long run and we forget the 99% grit that is actually part of innovation, apart from the inspiration that technology might give us. I think we've just been through a period where we at the UN have seen this very clearly. Two years ago, we didn't even do video conferences, although we had technology for over 20 years. And now we look back and we wonder why we didn't use them before. And it's a matter of A, being forced to, and B, building the habits of doing it. And it's to our benefit, because in future we'll be doing a lot more video conferences to complement the physical missions that we do. The other is the importance of being relatively open to which ideas could work which could not. Things like Airbnb, for instance, was dismissed as a crazy idea by almost everyone in the beginning. Why? You want people to live in your own homes. But actually the, the person who invested in Airbnb invested in it. In it, despite thinking it was a crazy idea, because he had such good confidence in them as entrepreneurs and in them as finding other ways to, to do a good business. And then it turned out that Airbnb, Airbnb actually worked. The third is the importance of um, having an open or pockets of open governance that look into different solutions. This could be things like innovation enhancing procurement or procurement partnerships and also regular consultation mechanisms to find out what what people need, what potential entrepreneurs see of doing things better, even in the area of public services, and to continue this dialogue and to have mechanisms where the municipality can step in and support and provide some catalytic elements uh, to make sure that things can be tried out in a small scale and also to start creating an innovation culture. And the final element is the issue of legitimacy. There is, of course, a certain established legitimacy for what government can do and what government can't do. If you try something new, inevitably some of those boundaries are going to be less and less clear. And you talk in particular about the, the need for surveillance and data, but at the same time the issue of privacy and guarantees. And we see this also in a broader context Right now, we know that data uh, can be incredibly valuable, but we also have concerns about it, and we're looking for solutions. And it's very dangerous to opt for one particular solution now because we might uh, actually snuff out quite a bit of dynamism uh, that's out there, and that could be the benefit for all. So in that context, what trends regarding the role of states and cities do you see in, in, in innovation considering this rapid digitization and especially the need to be able to trade and to consult vast amounts of data.
1: Oh, very interesting questions. I think that, of course, you know, the, the entrepreneurial craziness, willing to to launch, in you know, at the example that you provided about our Airbnb, of course, is, is actually always very important to take some opportunities in the market that have been somehow unexploited, and sometimes also rightly commented some technological opportunities are there but no one really takes them up like the example that you gave about the uh, using technology, digital technologies for conferencing. This brings back to the understanding that sometimes the governments and here also city-level governments they might be on the driving seat. They might be saying well we need this kind of solution and they take this entrepreneurial role pushing forward specific creating solutions some kind of incentives or creating some kind of possibilities. They actually engage into the lead user. For example, they say, well, we need a, I'm going to give you an example. In one of the remote islands in Denmark, the municipality in that island said, well, we need to have a stable connection with the mainland. And we have very polluting ferry. So why don't we push forward having our electrical ferry? So it was a very entrepreneurial drive from the municipality to really engage into into building that ferry, owing, you know, they own that ferry, they operate that ferry, using a technology that the, was the, just barely on the, on the limit of what the battery could actually perform. So they explained the new ship. The whole design of the ship is different. The whole duration of the battery was new. So it was very entrepreneurial from that municipality to engage on that. But we also can see that municipalities and city governments might also take other roles that not necessarily being so entrepreneurial they can be more on they holding a little back in time in terms for example of trying to be more of a watchdog of what's going on taking more mitigating some bad effects and uh, coping with this regulating uh, unexpected negative situations and here the Airbnb example comes at play you know because Airbnb which was a crazy idea at the beginning, became immensely popular to the extent that has been really challenging the whole hotel industry in major cities. At the same time, we have people who come to these apartments and have parties in uh, the middle of the night disturbing the neighbors. The neighbors have not been very happy about having these Airbnb guests in their communities. So there has been a lot of unexpected situations, negative effects. Of course, the municipalities have to step in and say, well, we are welcoming this Airbnb, but we set some kind of regulatory limits of what Airbnb can use in this city, in this context. And also taxation issues has been also quite important, both at local level, but also at national level. Anyway. This is to say that municipalities who are engaged into innovation, they might take different roles, the entrepreneurial one or the more regulatory, uh, mitigating, watchdog or regulator type of approach.
0: Thank you very much. And this actually throws up the much larger issue of how do we go about regulation, which we'll try to cover in other podcasts as well. If you look throughout history... A lot of the innovation that took place was actually what you could call permissionless because it changed the game and the regulation was based on a set of assumptions that had changed as they changed with Airbnb and with Uber. And then to think about what is the solution to this, you can, of course, outlaw them. You can, of course, look into the de facto self-regulation of Airbnb through reviews and responsibility of the owner and so on and so forth. And uh, they also think I have some insurance mechanisms for that. So it's a discussion that I think it's good to have and that these developments raise these challenges to, and allow us, especially at the municipal level, test beds to try out different ways of regulating these issues. And at some point there will be some kind of compromise that will that will work well and not impede innovation but also ensure that we have the same level of protection and security as we would have for, as the public would need. So finally, I wanted to link this to uh, your current project where you research capacities, municipalities, and cities, in, in cities, what capacities they need to fulfill private solutions. And you talk also about the idea that you already mentioned of regulatory test beds, and uh, how regulation can uh, constrain innovation unintentionally and sometimes even intentionally. So how can we move towards a regulatory system that achieves common goals while providing flexibility and incentives for, for innovation?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. And I think that there will be no silver bullet, you know, one possible answer, because it depends on the technology, depends on the needs of the city, depends on on how tested or how uh, advanced the technology is in terms of what kind of the side effects. And so, so that's kind of... Uh, very difficult to answer to give one answer it depends very much on the on the different technologies and, and needs and, and sectors right you know the energy sector is different than the transport sector or the wastewater sector. but one of the things that we're actually looking at right now is that many times we have been looking at very much at the technology per se and although the technologies can actually provide many many possible solutions. The real solution comes when that technology is really put into actual work. And putting that into actual work requires that the municipalities develop some some very, very explicit organizational capacities, organizational skills and abilities, right? One of them that we're thinking about, we're discussing and studying right now, is the Ability of the municipalities to do and interpret analyses that look into what can work and, and 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 what cannot work and what are the real problems. You know, whenever a policymaker at municipal level needs to address a problem, there needs to be an analysis of that problem. What is the different aspects, the different bottlenecks that we are experiencing right now. So this kind of analytical um, uh, aspect is very important. We know that many municipalities around the world have been developed in the last 10 years something that they call public labs or innovation labs, which are typically units, internal units in municipalities giving internal advice. And 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 providing internal analysis of what municipalities can do about some problems So all these kind of public labs or innovation labs at municipal level have been doing that task of Enhancing the analytical competences the analytical skills at the level of the municipalities another type of aspect that we think that are very very important as I mentioned earlier is what we call anticipatory capacities or anticipatory skills which bring together top-down but also bottom-up future-oriented studies about what can be done and that involves very sophisticated system optimization models foresight and scenario analysis And also kind of thinking the future of our cities in ways that provide realistic possibilities. So that idea of not only analyzing the analytical capabilities of analyzing what is happening now, the problems that we have now, but also the future-oriented, more planning dimension of using this very sophisticated modeling is also very important, right? And then the third Capacity that we're looking now, it has to do with the regulatory capacity that you mentioned also earlier in your question, which has to do with the ability of the municipalities to be able to understand that technology puts always questions to existing regulations. Think about the very rapid platforms, the digitalization that we are experiencing, the new platform economies, that come up with totally unexpected situations from a regulatory perspective. Who is responsible when a self-driving car hits a pedestrian in a city? Obviously, there was no driver, right? It was a you know self-driving car with no driver. So is that the software company? Was it the build the company that built up the car, the, f- the manufacturer of the car, which can be separated from the manufacturer of the software, was that the signals put forward up by the municipality that the signals need to communicate with that? I mean, who is that responsible? And that puts a lot of question, regulatory question marks to national level, but also to the local municipal level. So there has to be the municipalities who have these regulatory capacities, which are actually not only looking into how the regulations are working now, but also how the regulations can be adapted to the new unexpected needs when technologies are moving forward.
0: Thank you, Professor Boris. It's it's very interesting, and it relates quite a bit to a new project that we are starting on, on disruptive innovation, where there will be a strong role to talk about things like regulatory test sets, SDG labs, and also how we do foresights. Of course, we can't predict the future, but at the same time, we need some kind of long-term perspective to sort of guide what we're going, where we're going, that is then continuously updated. So, thank you. This has been a very interesting conversation. I wanted to invite you to reiterate a couple of points that are especially important for you and that have emerged through this conversation and also in your in your research.
1: So, I, I will say that it's not about the technologies per se, but also, as you said, about the finding the solutions that really provide answers to very much pressing problems that we have our, in our societies. And that those pressing problems are typically also in in urban areas. Those ur- urban areas can be large or can be small, but this, definitely that's where the, the the human interactions really happen, and where we need to find solutions to transport, to energy, to public health, to wastewater, uh, to air pollution, and so forth. So that's that's the starting point, not not the technology per se. And uh, what we need to do is that we need to empower the society and the citizens living in in, in the cities to be better at engaging with them and inviting them to participate, to articulate their public needs, although they might be of course very complex and diverse, but also to empower and to enhance the capacities and competences and skills of municipal organizations to, to anticipate in better ways to regulate in better ways and to analyze the real problems in better ways. And so that can be related to very sophisticated new technologies that have to do, for example, with digitalization, but can also be with with relatively easy and, and not so complex technologies like sensors that are actually located into some garbage cans or in any other kind of devices that can actually provide solutions to to complex problems. So not necessarily the finding solutions for complex problems is found in complex technologies. It can also be found in simple technologies. But what is required is that there is a social and organizational context where those solutions are articulated in in, in ways that can give answers to our pressing needs.
0: Thank you very much. This has been a very interesting conversation. Our guest today has been Professor Susanna Boros, the Department of Organization at Copenhagen Business School in Denmark. And uh, the, the topic has been uh, Cities as test beds for Innovation to Drive Sustainable Development. Professor Boros, many thanks for joining us on Innovation Matters and all the best.
1: Thank you very much.